So my family uh, is, is pretty worried. They've seen uh, how much time I've put into uh, preparing and have seen uh, how long my slides are, uh, etc. cetera. Um, uh, but I just want to reassure them. Pastor says I have until 1130-ish or so, and according to the clock back there, it's only 10, a little after 10. So <laughs> I think I have plenty of time. So uh, I, I think we're safe. So uh, a little bit of the overview of the entire day this morning, as Pastor mentioned, uh, uh, we're looking through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelations and what it has to do with missions. And my claim is that missions is the point of the Bible. It's the thread that runs through the entire thing. This morning during Sunday school, we looked through the Old Testament and uh, uh, looked at and uh, that claim through there. Uh, this morning for a regular church, we're going to look through the, uh, the New Testament. And then tonight I'm going to share, uh, that'll be the real good stuff. So uh, hopefully the snow uh, holds off a little bit and you can, you can make it to that because it's not just, I'm not just going to talk about what we're doing in Iowa City, although I'll mention that stuff. We're going to talk about real practical ways that we can get involved both here in Sheraton and uh, all the way to, to going elsewhere, but how we can be involved in God's global mission. So I uh, really encourage you to, to come to that tonight. So uh, we'll start with the first slide. Um, and actually, uh, yeah, right lower corner, there's a make full size button. There we go. And then uh, we can click to the next slide there. We'll start by looking at the uh, missions in the life of Christ. Here's the answer to our, uh, our quiz question this morning for Sunday School. Missions in the Life of Christ. And uh, you can just use the, the bottom arrow there to go to the first slide. So sometimes when we think of uh, missions, uh, what we first think about is um, the, the Great Commission, right? Uh, Matthew 28, uh, where Jesus gives what we call the Great Commission. And oftentimes we, th- we might think uh, that this is something that comes to, at the end uh, of, of Jesus' ministry. It's actually after he's resurrected. Uh, so sometimes we think, oh, he's, he's finished his work. He's heading up. He's, he's heading to heaven. And he, he looks down and goes, oh, yeah, I need to give him something to do. Go make disciples of all nations. Uh, don't forget to do that. Like it's, it's, like it's an afterthought. But I'm going to make the case this morning that Christ's entire life and mission was about missions. We'll start by looking at the dedication of Jesus. So after Jesus was born, his family took him to uh, the temple where he was dedicated by Simeon. And this is what Simeon says. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So right from the beginning... He recognized that the Gentiles, that the non-Jews are going to play a key role in this. That Jesus didn't come just for the Jews, but for everyone. If we can go on to the next one. Right after Jesus was in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan, right after that he goes to his hometown in Nazareth, and he goes into the synagogue and he begins his ministry. And this is how his ministry begins. He begins by taking the scrolls, and reading from the book Isaiah. 
And uh, he starts by saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So here these these uh, Jewish people are here listening to this and they hear all the buzzwords. They hear the clicking. He's saying, I am here to fulfill prophecy. I am the Messiah. They are getting so excited. He's finally here, but he continues, he continues on the next, uh, next one to say, but I tell you truly, many, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land, but none of them was Elijah sent except Zarephath in the region of Sidon, which is in Lebanon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elijah, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. So we talked about the second one, uh, Naaman, a little bit this morning. But do you know what this did? This triggered the congregation from being excited because Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, I am here, I am here to fulfill prophecy. This is what I'm reading. Then he says this, and what's the reaction if we can go to the next one? The reaction to this. So all those who were in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill, which their city was built, so that they might throw him down the cliff. That was their reaction to, to, to what he said. It seems, it seems pretty minor to us, right? He was talking about, you know, uh, a widow being from Lebanon, you know, getting some ministry and some ministry to this guy Naaman. But what he's saying is it's not for a lack of need in Israel that these prophets ministered to the, the other people. There were lepers in the days of Elijah. There were widows in the, in the days of Elijah. But that's not who they were sent for. They were sent for these foreigners. And it wasn't because the foreigners were particularly good people. Naaman was a Syrian general. He heard about Elijah and his leprosy healing powers from a Israelite slave girl that he had taken from Israel during one of his raids as he's beaten up on Israel and taken women and children back to be slaves. That's who Elijah was sent or was a uh, name and actually came to him. But that's who he ministered to. And why is that? Even back in the Old Testament, we look through a lot more examples than this. Even through the Old Testament, God wasn't all just about Israel. Israel was there to be a witness to the other nations. And when they weren't, God brought other nations to Israel, sometimes in a good and sometimes in a bad way. Um, So we continue on in Jesus' ministry, and we'll go on to the next slide and look at Matthew. So there's a lot of of, uh, um, pointing to the other nations uh, performed in Matthew. Start by the genealogy of Christ. Uh, If you look closely, there are four women in the genealogy of Christ that are not Jewish already. This is God pointing that the the Gentiles, that the nations are going to have a significant role to play here. The Magi from the East, these are non-Jewish people. They came to worship Christ after he was born. The centurion, uh, healing of the centurion servant, Uh, Just like Naaman was a Syrian general, an oppressive general being up on on the Jews, 
This guy was a Roman centurion. The Romans at the time were occupiers of Israel. This is the enemy, and yet he heals his servant. Deliverance of two demon-possessed men in the district of uh, Jerneses. I can't say that very well, but... um, So it's located east of the Sea of Galilee. These are a collection uh, in, uh, in an area of Gentile cities. These are Gentile people that God is casting out demons in. Healing of the Canaanite woman. Canaanite, that's clearly not Jewish. That's uh, one of the other tribes. And if you notice throughout, uh, throughout the Old Testament, we focus on Israel. And the only time you hear about the other tribes is when they start banging into Israel. So here's another one of these, these tribes that, that we see in the Old Testament occasionally. Um, but this Canaanite mother is pleading with Jesus to heal his daughter. And the disciples try to push her off. They knew that Jesus was here for the Jews, right? They were here for me, not for these people over here. Try to push them away. But Jesus had compassion and healed. Feeding of the 4,000 were Gentiles. This also occurred on the east side of the Sea of Galilee in the area called Decapolis, according to Mark. And this is a a collection of 10 Gentile cities. So the healing of the 4,000, which is in all four of the Gospels, is a ministry to Gentiles. Healing of the blind and the lame in the court of the Gentiles. If you remember, when Jesus comes into the the temple area and he overturns the money changers' tables and he has uh, uh, makes a scene, and then right after that he heals the the leper or the uh, the blind and the lame in this court. And the court is outside the actual temple part. It's called the the court of Gentiles, and it's where the money changers occurred. It's where they sold uh, doves and different animals for sacrifice. Those are dirty things, things that the Jews weren't doing. The Gentiles occupied this court of the Gentiles and were doing this. So when he's healing people in this court, most likely he is healing Gentiles. He is healing non-Jews. He is healing people of the nations. Next one. If you remember uh, when Jesus is asked about when will the end come, there was, there was a lot of criteria, a lot of things to look for, wars and rumors of wars, etc. But one of the things was, and that the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. So if you're someone who is looking eagerly to the second coming of, of Christ, when he will come and he will set up his thousand-year reign here, and uh, you know peace, prosperity, uh, and the second Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem here on earth, etc. If you are eagerly awaiting that, then missions is key. Next one, the Great Commission. And I put commissions. Oftentimes we think of the Great Commission as being one verse in Ma- uh, one set of verses in Matthew, uh, but there's actually five different commissionings. Another thing to think about is the fact that Jesus never used the word, this is the Great Commission. In fact, the Great Commission or commission wasn't even present in the times of Paul. wasn't even present yet in the times of William Carey when he sailed uh, in the late 1700s to become a missionary. The, the Great Commission was actually a phrase coined by, in, in a book in 1893 by uh, A.T. Pearson, uh, part of the, uh, the student uh, movement uh, of uh, missionaries uh, called the Divine Enterprise of Missions. So he coined the phrase the Great Commissions, and he makes reference to five Great Commission texts. Each one has a special emphasis or a special purpose, and we'll look at each one of those this morning. So the one in Matthew, probably the one we're most familiar with, uh, its emphasis is on make disciples. It says, 
And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, With all authority has been given to me in, in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them uh, to observe all the things I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the earth. So that's the first one in Matthew, make, make disciples, probably the one that we're most familiar with. But there's others. If we can go to the next one. In Mark, he says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then the next one in Luke. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in, in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And you are a witness of these things. So the emphasis there is on witness. We are witnesses. Next one in John, his emphasis is on being sent. So Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And then the fifth one is actually in Acts. And remember, Acts is written uh, by Luke, so there's, it's pretty similar to the one in Luke. But this one has a little bit more emphasis on the Holy Spirit. It says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be a witness to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we'll pause on this slide for just a moment here. You know, I used to uh, to think, you know, looking for parallel stuff in the, in the, the Gospels, right, that... Some accounts in the Gospels are, are, are stated multiple, uh, in multiple Gospels, same story, maybe from a different perspective, different focus, a little bit different words, but it's the same story, right? So I used to think, well, these five, it's, it's, one, it's, it's multiple viewpoints of the same account, right? But that, that's not right. And if we go to the next slide. The first one occurred in Jerusalem, the night of the resurrection, it's recorded most likely in Mark. Mark's a little fuzzy about the details of the when and how and where, but most likely uh, uh, it's, it's in this one. And in Luke and John. And this occurs where the number one is there in Jerusalem. The second one in Matthew occurs in Galilee, sometime after the resurrection, sometime before the ascension. If you notice Galilee, that's, that's quite a ways away. Actually, in the time before cars and buses and trains, etc., that would take at least several days, if not a couple weeks, to get from Jerusalem to Galilee. So we have him in Jerusalem saying uh, these commissioning texts, go, make disciples. We have him in Galilee, Galilee saying probably the more uh, familiar one, again, you guys need to go. I'm sending you to the nations. And then third... The third one, the one that occurs in Acts, occurs just prior to him being ascended back up to into heaven. And if you look, it occurs on the Mount of Olives, which is just right outside of Jerusalem. Um, so he traveled all the way back. So he is, he, is tra- he, he is going around with the disciples 40 days, right, between the uh, resurrection and the ascension. 40 days. And on at least three different occasions... He stops and he tells his disciples this message that you are to go to make disciples of all nations. It's not just one account. It's not just uh, multiple accounts of one thing, one uh, one speech. And if you think about it, he was there for 40 days, but we don't have a whole lot of text as far as what he says. There's not a lot written to go by as far as what he was telling his disciples during this time. 
most of what he was talking about that's recorded are these things. So this is his emphasis. After having his ministry, which is both to the Jews, but also clearly to the Gentiles, dying, overcoming, death, resurrecting. You know, that'll get people's attention. (laughs) Coming back from, from the dead will get your attention. Now that I have your attention, this is what my focus is. This is what his focus was during that time. He was given his departing instructions. If we go on to the next slide. Sometimes, though, we think that the Great Commission is just a good suggestion. And, you know, I don't, I don't blame people who think that way. Um, if, if the only one that you're familiar with is maybe the, the, the one in Matthew, the Great Commission, maybe, maybe we think, oh, he just said it once. Just one thing that Jesus said among many things. It's just one thing that God said among a lot of things in this book, right? Who would hang their entire life, their entire hat, their entire life? Who would, who would change the direction of what they're focused on in school or in work or in life? Who would uproot their family and move halfway across the world, maybe even to a hostile area? Who would do all of that based on one verse in the Bible, or one, one set of verses in the Bible. You know, I don't blame you. I probably wouldn't either, you know. Um, but like Pastor was saying, even if, if number one in his point was true, or number ten, or I, I would make the case even three or eight, if any one of those are true, that's sufficient. I would say even if it was just the one verse in Matthew that said you are to go make disciples of all nations, that's enough. That should be enough to get us moving. But it certainly is more than just a good suggestion. He said it multiple times. It was his focus after getting everyone's attention by coming back from the dead. So we'll move on to to looking at some things in the early church. We'll look at uh, the story of Cornelius first. I love this story. So here's Cornelius, not a Jew, but he's he's considered a a somewhat godly man. He gives to to the synagogue and he does some good things. Um, But he, he has this this uh, vision and in this vision God tells him to go find Peter and about the same time Peter's having this vision he's up on the rooftop and he's hungry he's been kind of praying and fasting and stuff and God says oh he's hungry he brings down this sheet filled from heaven filled with animals and he says kill and eat Peter goes no what is this a test those are unclean things that you're telling me to kill and eat and God God does it multiple times and he says do not call unclean what I have made clean. And about that time, I don't know if they have doorbells at the time or if it was a knocker or what, but there was someone at the door. So he goes down and there's these couple, I think about three servants of, of uh, Cornelius. And they said, you know, I know we're, we're Roman and, and uh, we're not supposed to kind of hang out with you, but this guy Cornelius sent us to come fetch you because he had this dream and he wants you to come and talk to him. So, Peter comes, and, and this is what he says when he, when he does meet up with him. He says, uh, then he says to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation? What? This is Peter, one of the disciples, and he says this after being around Jesus, after hearing what Jesus says about go to all the nations, make disciples. And yet he's still in this cultural barrier around him. I can't go. They're different. The law says that I can't go around them. Right? So, 
so he goes, okay, you know, I'm not supposed to be here, but I'm here because I had this weird vision, and God said, don't make, don't call unclean things unclean if I've cleansed them. Uh, so here I am. What do you want? And so Cornelius tells him about his vision and, and what prompted him to come. And this is how he ends it. He says, so I sent to you immediately. And now, therefore, we are present before God to hear all the things commanded by you, to hear all the things commanded to you by God. Does that sound familiar at all? So in the Great Commission, the one we're most familiar with, Matthew 28, Part of it, it says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. So he's saying, I'm here. I'm one of the nations. I'm one of the people that Jesus told you about. You're supposed to be talking to me. Right? So I think it finally clicked with Peter. Peter says, uh, and then he opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. <laughs> I, I would hope that he would have gotten it before this, but he finally gets it. But every nation who fears and works righteously is accepted by him. So Peter starts to tell Cornelius about Jesus. And this, and this is what happened. If we can go on to the next one. This is what happened. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, so the Jews that were, came with Peter, who believed, were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they had heard him, them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Awesome. This is where everything changed in the early church. Remember, before this encounter... Here's Peter. Even though Jesus had said all these things about going to the nations and making disciples, here's Peter. I'm in my box. I can't go over there. They're different. The law says that I can't go over there. He's finally breaking out of his box because God did some supernatural things here. So Peter goes back uh, to his buddies and he tells them about what happened. And uh, at first they were giving him a real hard time about uh, going to the Gentiles. You know, you broke the law. You're outside of our box. He tells him the whole story about how Cornelius had this vision. I had this vision. We came together. Then the Holy Spirit shows up. Right? And then, so the disciples are like, so when they heard these things, they became silent. And then they glorified God and said, God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. The early church is starting to get it. So at the end of this story, which runs from Acts 10 beginning Acts 10, midway through Acts 11, things radically changed. They had been a society enclosed within the boundaries of the, nation, of the cultural world of Israel, but they became something radically different. They now recognize that the nations are important and they can go reach them. So some of them start doing that. Next line. Uh, after the persecution of Stephen, as the, Jew, uh, as the, the Messianic uh, Jews or the, the Jews who believe in Jesus uh, are being persecuted. They spread out. Some of them start to witness to these Greeks and they start to become believers. But this kind of posed a problem. Now you have these Greek Gentile believers and you have the Jewish background believers and they don't really mix too well. 
Because the, the Greeks, they're not too excited about this whole circumcision thing. Right? I'm not sure I would be either if I was converting at the age of 35 or something. Um, so not too excited about this circumcision thing. They're not really all that concerned about the future of Israel. Yeah, you know, you can tell us the stories about how God protected Israel and how Israel is their spe- his special people, but we're not Jewish and we're not really all that excited, you know, give or take, you know, it's not that big a deal to us. Uh, the temple, you mean we have to go specifically to that place to pray? Can't God just hear me here when I pray to him or uh, in, in my house of worship? The Sabbath, you mean I have to take a whole day off? I'm kind of a busy guy, you know, I'm not too excited about the idea of having to take a day off. So there's this, this tension, this Jewish background believers who have all this law, which encloses them in their, in their cultural box. And these Greek believers who want to get, maybe aren't, aren't too concerned about that box because they're outside the box. And you start to have some, some heads budding. No, they work through it. And I think an interesting thing is, is as they work through it, you have to start calling this something different. This is no longer a group of Jews who are following their Messiah Jesus, so-called Messianic Jews, right? This is something different. This isn't just for them. This is for other people. And I think it's interesting in Acts, we find out that in Antioch, where these Jewish background believers and these uh, have spilled over into the Greek background believers or their Gentile background believers, where this mix is happening and things start to look a little different. This is where we are first called Christians. Next one. And uh, looking at time, I'm just going to quickly run through. Uh, Paul got it pretty much from the beginning uh, that it was to the nations. If you want to go to the first one, I'll just kind of read through some of the different, uh, different verses where he highlights this. And I won't expound on them too much for the interest of time. Uh, for, for the Lord, for so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation of the ends of the earth. Next one. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confesses it is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is over all and rich to those who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it doesn't matter, Jew or Greek. All it takes is confession and, and faith. Next one. Um, how then shall I call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? I don't think it would be a missionary uh, uh, talk without including that in there. Uh, but an interesting thing is, is the book of Romans, we think of it as this amazing theological uh, uh write-up, which it is. But if you look towards the end, you see part of the reasoning behind it. Paul is writing to the Roman church and asking them to help him along his way to get to Spain, to start preaching in Spain. And uh, so part of this is a a missionary's letter, so to speak. Uh, Next one, uh, Romans uh, 15. Uh, The mighty signs and wonders and the powers of the Spirit so that from Jerusalem round about to Elicarium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, and so have made my aim to preach the gospel where Christ was, uh, where not Christ has been named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. So Paul is saying not only 
am I going to be ministering to the Gentiles. I'm going to go where there aren't missionaries right now. So that's his focus. We'll talk more tonight about how that should, could uh, be our focus. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Next line. So now, uh, as I said in Sunday school, I'm not sure if I mentioned it earlier, uh, this book is not just a collection of 66 books. It is a single book with a single theme running from beginning to end. It has an introduction in Genesis 1 through 11. It has a a plot in Genesis 12 through Jude. It has a conclusion in Revelation. So just to review the introduction, God creates man. His first command to to this new creation, this image of God that he has created, is to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. I've made this big, beautiful world. I want it surrounded. I want it covered by people who recognize me as the king and worship me. That's my goal. The fall happens. Man becomes wicked, so much so that he has to flood the whole earth and start over. And he repeats that same command to Noah and his family. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And then the Tower of Babel, which... Uh, We commonly think of as they're building a tower to try to get to heaven on their own. They're trying to do it their own way apart from God. That's the sin there. I I claim that that is not the sin there, although that is important to fully trust in God and not try to get there on our own. But I think the real lesson in the Tower of Babel is this. They were building with brick and asphalt, waterproof, instead of stones and mud, as they usually would. Building a tall tower. Why are they doing this? They're doing this because the reason behind congregating in the one city is to make their name great. So they're not scattered across the whole world. That's what God wanted. God wanted them to be all throughout the whole world to glorify his name, not to glorify their name. They were in direct disobedience to one of the few commands God had given them. And their response was, we're going to make a watertight, really tall tower. Because I don't trust that God, when God said that I'm not going to flood the world again. I don't trust him. We're going we're gonna to beat God. right? So then, the plot. Throughout the Old Testament, God calls up Abram. Says you're going to be Abraham now. You're not going to be Abram. Exalted father, you're going to be Abraham. Father of nations. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. They had a mandate to bless the nations. Throughout Israel, we see that these big events that we hear about in Sunday school as kids, that there's a hidden meaning to it. There's more to it than that. If you look for the, the reason behind why these occurred, these are, these are to, pro, to proclaim God's glory to the nations around Israel, to get their attention to say, I am God. And so you follow the story through the Old Testament, and then we get to Jesus, ministry to Gentiles, not once, Not twice, but on at least three different occasions, he tells his disciples, go, make disciples of all nations. They didn't get it at first. They stuck in their box. The supernatural meeting between Peter and Cornelius finally breaks that barrier, and they start ministering to the nations. Now the conclusion in Revelations. Next slide. It says in Revelations 5.9, And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We know that the prediction 
more than a prediction that the promise, the prophecy that God gave us, that through Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed, comes true. Next one. Again, Revelation 7, 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We know that it happens. We can look ahead to the conclusion of our book. We know it happens. Um, Because of time, uh, I have a a beautiful story about my friend Muhammad, uh, who has a dream about this. Save it for tonight. It's awesome, though. Come back tonight. You want to hear about uh, about Muhammad's dream of people dressed in white bowing before Jesus. It's awesome. All right. Next line. Um, so, supposed to be a video here, clearly missing. Um, so it was just—it was uh, essentially going to be a, a little preview of tonight. I'll try to—it's uh, a really awesome video, though. I'll try to work out the kinks that way I can uh, play it tonight. Um, but the the end of the video—it talks about the need, which we'll review tonight. We'll look into in more detail. It talks about uh, the the Great Commission, how it's not just. Uh, for people who have this funny feeling in their belly about being called somewhere. It's for everyone, and there's ways for you to get involved. You don't have to move all the way across the world. You can be involved here in Sheraton in many ways. And it ends, if we can go to the next slide, it ends in uh, in a quote from uh, Will, uh, William Wilberforce uh, that says, uh, "Hearing and uh, having seen all these things, you can choose to look the other way, but you cannot say that I did not know. So now you've seen that God's heart for the nations throughout the entire Bible, beginning to end, Genesis to Revelations, it's a responsibility that we have. And there's ways that we can do it here. There's ways we can do it elsewhere. But the choice is not ours. We don't have a choice in this. We are all called to do this. You don't have to wait for some funny feeling in your belly. You don't have to wait for God to call out your name specifically. There are ways to be involved. Giving to missions, as Pastor talked, is one of the essential ways. Praying for missions is key. Uh, there's a, a book on the back table that you're, you're welcome to have uh, that you can go through called Operation World. It takes you through praying through the world in a year. Um, there's, uh, there's ministry you can do here in Iowa, we're up in Iowa City. We're actually uh, moving closer to uh, Sudanese community. That way we can minister to Sudanese Muslims. If you're interested in, in seeing what Muslims believe and how you can use what they believe to show them Christ, you can pick up, there's a book back there called Muslims, Christians, and Jesus uh, that's a really good resource. Uh, I'll be at the back table to answer questions. Uh, just a reminder, tonight uh, is going to be the real practical stuff. So I spent Sunday school and Sunday morning this morning laying the foundation to convince you it's not an option. You have to be involved in some way. Tonight I'll tell you how to get involved. Um, 
And then there's some other resources back there. There's uh, a four by six picture that's our, my makeshift prayer card at the moment. Uh, go grab one of those, put it on your fridge, and remember to pray for, uh, for us up in Iowa City and our ministry uh, up there. So I'm just going to close this in prayer, and then I'll turn it over to Pastor. Lord, I just thank you for what you've done, for sending your son to die for not only my sins, but for the sins of the world, Lord. There are many who have not heard. They need to hear. They need to be told. People need to be sent. Lord, I just pray that you will raise up laborers. I feel like sometimes we're just really vague about that, Lord. I just pray that you will raise up laborers even here from grace. Maybe it's among some of the mature believers here. Maybe it's among some of the teens who get a heart and a passion for missions and want to serve you. Lord, I just pray that this church would get a reputation as a church who is on fire for missions, whose heart is to serve you around the world, and who is sending people all over the world having an impact for your glory, for your nations, Lord. I just thank you for all that you do and for allowing me to come and present here, Lord. In your name I pray, amen.